Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Hello, Hostel Homies. This episode is sponsored by Hammock. Hammock is the social media platform for hostels, connecting you with other travelers nearby. Download now on the App Store or Google Play and join the network today. Well, I'm glad we got to have that chat last night that is uh, now leading to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so was it's fun. great. That was a lot of fun. So, welcome to the Hostel Homies podcast. I'm with Frankie Meduja, the owner of the Bunk and Brew Hostel in Bend, Oregon. We had a fun talk last night at the, uh, the bar in Bend and. It seems like you've done a fair share of traveling in your life before starting your own hostel. Yes, I have. I, uh, I guess I started when I was uh, 17 as an exchange student in Ecuador. Right on, man. So is that kind of where you got the travel bug? That is. That's what, that's what started it all. Uh, I was sent to, uh, I was the last minute applicant actually, and I had no idea what country I would go to, and they literally just sent me there. Yes. So I landed in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Right on. We were just talking about this at breakfast in Ecuador. You were you were given a couple recommendations on how to go to sleep when it's that hot, and one of them being taking like an ice cold shower before you go to bed. That's right. Yeah, the host family uh, said that would like lower your core body temperature and uh, help you help you sleep at night. So yeah, it was uh, difficult to adjust to that. But. Okay. <laughs> well, you're doing that. You were sleeping in very hot conditions there, and now you're kind of sleeping out in your car camper van here in Bend, Oregon, where it gets pretty damn cold at night. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's pretty funny. Uh, you know, with starting the hostel, you know, uh, we had we were living with a bunch of staff on the third floor of the hostel, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, it's uh, it's an upgrade to live in your vehicle. So yeah, right. <laughs> now I don't live with eight other staff members at the hostel. I'd no kidding. Slip yeah. out back in my Forerunner. Right on, man. So why uh, why did you choose Bend, Oregon, as if any place to start a hostel? Yeah, you know, uh, it's just kind of an up and coming destination for adventure travelers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there was nothing else here. Uh, that had affordability and community. Those are some of our core focuses uh, as a hostel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and it affected us personally. Uh, living in Portland for over 10 years, we'd come over to Bend or everything amazing it had to offer, the, the outdoor recreation and the beer. Uh, a couple times we'd come here literally just to drink beer. Yeah, of course. Um, and then we just couldn't find lodging, couldn't find affordable lodging. Mm-hmm. So You wanted to create a place where people could, yeah. could find that, huh? Yeah. How long has the Bunk and Brew been open for? About a year and eight months now. Oh, we're coming up in September. We're a day away from September, I think, or two or something like that. But right uh, we started in December of 16, so that puts us about a year and eight months. Excellent. Well, just to describe it to the listeners, I came in and it's got a very friendly, homey vibe to it. It is uh, the oldest building in Bend, right? Yes, brick building. The oldest non-wood frame construction. Gotcha. So first and all is a brick building built in 1910. And it's yeah. got that feeling. It's got that kind of historic, yeah. very comfortable feeling to it. It's not crazy big it's it seems like how many people does it fit at all yeah times? we sleep 28 people here mm-hmm. so uh and that's counting some double beds so if every head's in a bed that would accommodate 28 people well and a lot of people like when you stay in hostels there's some of them that god if it's like 100 150 yeah. people and it seems like it's almost harder to meet people when there's that many of them. you do we've heard that feedback from a lot so i've gone to some hostel conferences i've stayed at some of those big 
uh, factory hostels, you could maybe say. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to network and have that uh, in intimacy with uh, another traveler, another guest. They become very robotic. They become glued to their, their tablets and their mm -hmm. cell phones, their, um, their computers. And here, it's like you can't escape where you go. It's so small and cozy that you're going to be interacting with every guest nearly. So. Well, and I absolutely agree. And we're sitting in this fun little den area. And I got here last night. We played Super Smash Bros. Like, That's right. Yeah. It was a really <laughs> nice way to get back into the, uh, the hostel lifestyle. And yeah. I want to talk about staying in hostels in the country you live in because a lot of Americans forget that you can even do that. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, uh, that's a, a lot of the big cities, uh, you know, Port Portland, Vancouver, Canada, Seattle, uh, California, you know, those big cities, they've always had hostels for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but now you're seeing a different wave, you know, that whole kind of shared economy, you know, the different wave of traveler and people rather, uh, you know, save money and, and share space. Uh, the, and then use that money on their outdoor recreation and out and, and a pub crawl, you know, they'll spend $100 on just food and beer mm -hmm. in one night. Because um, there's very little value in, in sleeping and if you could get some decent, safe, comfortable sleep. Yes. As long as you don't have a chainsaw snore in your bedroom. <laughs> I was telling Frankie earlier, I had a, just the most legendary snore <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. I wasn't even mad at the guy. I was just like, wow. It's impressive. It is. <laughs> really, though. I didn't know humans could make that noise. <laughs> So when we were at the uh, bar last night, I was explaining to you that I was, I'm heading to Spain in November, and it sounds like you had a fantastic trip of your own in Spain. What's, uh, when did you do that? This was kind of recently, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I went in mid-April, mm -hmm. so uh, I planned with a few friends uh, to do the uh, Camino de Santiago. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, could you describe what the Camino is? Yeah, it's, it's known as the Way of St. James mm -hmm. is another name. Um, it starts... Uh, a lot of people, they, they'll read the guidebooks and they get so fixated and where and what and to take and where to get started. And, you know, in reality, it starts from your doorstep. Mm -hmm. It's when you walk out your door, whether that's in Europe um, or if you're taking an airplane from another you know, country and you're getting to that starting destination. Mm -hmm. But uh, it starts from your doorstep and then um, it's all these old medieval trails that uh, link up and then head to the town of Santiago. And uh, way back in the day, uh, one of the kings, I can't remember, um, he was like, hey, Pope, uh, we want some holy relics because we're you know, good Christians. And, <laughs> and uh, so the, the Catholic Church sent the uh, Apostle St. James, his mm -hmm. remains, and they sent it to Santiago and sent the cathedral there. And a different pope, he uh, said that I think there's three pilgrimages that, pilgrimages, <laughs> there's three journeys you can make as a pilgrim. Three separate journeys, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> that can expunge you of all your sins. Uh, as, as a, I'm Catholic, I don't even know him. <laughs> well, I'm recovering Catholic. Like every Likewise, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you could get expunged of your sins if you do this uh, trek as a pilgrim to Santiago. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I didn't realize is, you know, does that expunge everything from the past and then going forward it like resets? Or is mm -hmm. I'm exp am, I, am I expunged for life? Like, <laughs> I, I'm a heathen, I gotta figure these things out. <laughs> You're like, like, I'm gonna make, <laughs> I'm gonna sin again. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. doubt about it. So that, that's what the Camino is, you know, it's a, it's, it is a religious pilgrimage, mm -hmm. um, but uh, people do it for different reasons. Sure. So. Did you notice like a ratio of who was doing it for religious reasons and who was doing it yeah. just as like a voyager type? I did, I did. Um, it's a good question and yeah, I think within a week of being on the trail you get very sick of the question, why are you on the Camino? Mm, sure. And especially if you have no reason where you just like to wine and dine like me <laughs> and experience culture. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a lot of people on the trail, the majority of them have more philosophical reasons okay. and emotional reasons. 
Um, the trail in the beginning uh, can be both physically challenged and mentally challenged because mm-hmm. you're just out there in this space and it goes from the mountains to these deserts to these rural cities and people get in their heads a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that never really happens to me. I just mm-hmm. walk and travel and I feel so free when I'm outside. Yeah, sure. Um, but people, you know, they get a lot of thoughts running in their head. But um, the ratio, oh, geez, I mean, a lot of people are out there because they lost loved ones, mm-hmm. they quit their jobs, they, they have questions they don't know answers to, or answers they don't have questions to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, a lot of that deep philosophical stuff. And then, you know, there, there are the true religious ones out there, but I think that that number's dwindling. Is that we, right? Yeah, the, that are, as we progress into, you know, a different era. Sure. Is this something where drugs are going to be involved as far as like, I would imagine people, if they want to go on a journey and find themselves, is this something where hallucinogenics are being taken? No, you know, I was on the trail. I was probably part of uh, some pretty heavy party scenes on the trail. Mm -hmm. A lot of us joked that, you know, you eventually start hanging out with more like-minded people on the trail. You just kind of tend to gravitate towards each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So we joked that it was the longest pub crawl. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Because there was two things that were for sure. There's always a a bar and a shower at the end of every day. You know, you just come into these little towns and villages and there's another bar. Oh, that's um, awesome. No, you know, I didn't see any hard drugs. I saw some joints and stuff, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's nothing that's not legalized in the States. Um, and, and just lots of alcohol, lots of boozing, lots of very good, cheap Spanish wine, and lots of boozing. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that you didn't really feel hungover the entire time. Huh? It's, it, it's Camino magic we joked about. It's <laughs> magic alcohol. I think your body's just working so hard that it just metabolizes, metastasizes everything. Sure. And you're, just, you're out there working, and you just drink, and it's just taking everything from the alcohol and just using that as energy. I drank so much to the point where I couldn't walk with some of my friends and didn't even feel hungover the next day. Wake, the next day, you wake up and do it all over yeah, again. Yeah, sure. So. And uh, you're drinking, I know you were saying there was bars at the end of every day, but were you drinking on the trails as well? Yeah, I was, like. I was one to carry a little bit of a, a small collapsible flask. Uh, it's sure. about a, maybe a liter and a half of uh, just red wine. And, you know, that was, that was a solid conversational piece where you'd, you'd throw out a little picnic blanket in a lovely park or yeah. some river along the trail and... You know, you'd, you'd get your uh, food and your your sliced meats and cheese and bread and you just have a picnic midday and then you bust out your wine and gosh, if you had wine on you, you made friends really easy. <laughs> no <kidding. laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think it was necessary, yeah. Well, that seems kind of like the best of both worlds. It seems like you're able to go on a hike but then restock basically every, before every day. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't have to take your shelter. You didn't even have to take a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. It's nice to take some snack bars. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these little towns and villages you go through. You could buy a lunch even and in these and then carry it on a little bit and then eat it at the next park or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, you didn't need much rations at all. I actually started out with carrying about two liters of water on me and then dropped down to almost about half a liter to maybe like half a liter water and one liter wine. <laughs> so I dropped down to it because there's so many water fill-up yeah, stations everywhere. Priorities, yeah. I yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was there a specific town where you usually start in and ended where it was expected, or would people go longer than others where you would travel yeah. more and end up at the town, you know, however much further? Yeah, um, if you go in by the guidebook, it is expected. It's really mapped out. Okay. Um, I can't travel that way. I'll look at it, I'll reference it, uh, I'll, I'll want to know like maybe the big cities or certain uh, points that I want to stop at that I know something about that little historic town or you know Pompolonas or the running of the bulls mm-hmm. or just whatever's there. But um, I, would, I would travel maybe one stop before the guidebook or one stop after the guidebook or if just the town was calling to me. And if I did that, 
there was less people, less travelers. There was sometimes you, it was so busy that you might not even get uh, lodging accommodations because every alberg would be booked up. So oh, you'd right. have to travel on. But, um, you know, me, I'd meet somebody on the trail. I just uh, gravitated to them and they're mm-hmm. calling. And I was just like, I want to learn more about this person. It's a great conversational piece. And I'll stop in the town they're stopping at. Sure. Other times I would just feel like I just could keep walking. So uh, I walked anywhere from eight kilometers in one day to about uh, 38 to 40 kilometers in one day. Oh that was my, my highest day. Wow. From 4 a.m. to about like 11 p.m. just all, all day. But, uh, you know, it, just, it was just a calling, yeah. So I, I'm trying to envision the trail right now. Is it something where you're walking and you're uh, surrounded by people at all times? Or is it where you'll walk and maybe, like you said, you'll see someone who has a picnic set up or yeah. you'll have people like on the side sitting down and drinking? Yeah. Is it more like the latter? Yeah, it is like that. Um, uh, you know, it does, I think, the season that you go as well. Okay. So, the um, you know, if you go in the summer season, that's the busiest. That's when all the, the local Spanish uh, uh, pilgrims uh, have time off from school mm-hmm. and they choose to jump on the trail and walk it, um, other Europeans as well. So I went just prior to the busy season um, before school was out. Gotcha. And... Um, I actually was very surprised with uh, the age demographic on the trail. I felt like everybody was, I felt like the youngest person at the age of 30 on Is that the trail. Right? Yeah, but uh, I think if you went in the summer, you would see a different trail. But uh, yeah, you see, you know, there was times on the trail where it was just me for as, as long as the eye could see. Mm-hmm. Um, other times you, you have people in front and behind you, so. Sure. Yeah. So you were saying that you were the type that didn't really get in your own head. Did you have any crazy self-realizations, though, during this? You, you were walking for about 30 days, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I did. It, the trail was 30 days to the end. I did a little extension, went out to the coast, Finisterra, and mm-hmm. up north, and have a cool sailing story I'll tell you towards yes, the end. Please. But uh, let's see. Realizations. You know, I've, I've traveled a lot of the world and backpacked and stuff and lived out of a backpack before. But uh, I think every time I go on one of these trips, I just realize, like, the less things I need in life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, going from like four pairs of underwear that I took on the trip to two pairs, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. you know, you walk in one, you clean and shower, you know, you get to your destination, you shower with your underwear. It's like you become one <laughs> with your clothes and then you put on your clean pair, you let that one dry yeah, and you start yeah. all over. And so, you know, I think it's just a constant reminder of being less materialistic in life and living with less things. And, you know, there's, I've read some books and I, I'm a strong believer there's a direct correlation with less possessions and happiness. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's a good thing to take away from yeah. that. You were saying you would pack about, what, 10 to 15 pounds of yeah. stuff on you and yeah. clothes, a certain amount of everything, and then maybe a little mug because people yeah. would often pass out, what, free wine? Yeah, as yeah, you, yeah, there was, yeah, exactly. You would find some free wines or some uh, winery stop where there's a tap from a local winery where you just could fill up your little mug. And so it was really nice just to have your own little cup. Uh, you didn't really need a, a plate or forks and knives and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could buy a knife maybe there if you want to cut up some sausage or something. But having a 10 to 15-pound pack is really good. You shouldn't go over that, and you, sh- you shouldn't need any more. Yeah. So with people passing out all this free stuff in the city, how are you looked at when you're doing the trail? Are, th- are, they, are people happy for you? Are they happy that it exists in their town? What is the energy towards the Camino in Spain? Yeah, I think the energy is really good. You know, mm-hmm. we're, the, um, the locals actually rely on this on a big sense of revenue. Mm-hmm. They're really happy to see us. Now, they might not be happy to see... Uh, my type of pilgrimage <laughs> sure. because I tend to be a little bit more of that uh, 
the, the boozing scene, mm-hmm. the really partaking in the culture scene. Some of these albergues you would stay at, they would lock and close their doors at like 10 p.m. Oh, wow. So you miss out on any festival that may be going on in the town. And there was loads. There was like this chicken festival in the town of Astella. It's like, what's going on here? Like, And so, you know, there was just some good festivals. And if you stay at a traditional albergue, mm-hmm. they lock you. They lock the doors. You, they lock. They literally lock you inside because they, they, they want to cater to the pilgrim that's that's doing this journey and that hikes in there and then that needs a good night rest mm-hmm. and then they wake up and they they, li- they also literally kick you out at like 7 to 8 a.m. Everybody's oh my gosh. Out, like out. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, here I come through with some Germans and some Swiss and, yeah. you know, we're, uh, we, we party pretty hard and, you know, we're very respectable, of course. Mm-hmm. We take it to a, a local bar out, out in the town and then sure. we come back to the alberg but some albergs you can't re-enter so in the middle of the night they lock you they out lock you out. so you got to be careful which ones you choose to stay mm-hmm. at but but other ones are definitely worth that experience you know there's there was a, an alberg ran by the benedine monks mm-hmm. and you could do gregorian chants with them and you could take this couple of days of solitude yeah mm-hmm. and just a lack of speaking and just praying and, and chanting and even if you're not religious and more spiritual it's a very wonderful experience what yeah. a cool experience yeah no yeah. kidding yeah. so for for the listeners who don't know what an alberg is you loosely described to me last night as similar to a hostel but Absolutely. is it more it's less of a community type thing and more of just bunks for for people yeah to sleep in? yeah the pilgrims tend to you know there's some conversational pilgrims but they tend to just kind of show up some of these albergues they'll sleep for like 50 to 80 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Other albergues, they'll be quite small, and you, they'll just uh, be similar to a hostel, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll sleep maybe a dozen or so. And uh, there's, there's for-profit ones, there's religious-based ones, there's donation-based ones. Um, so there's a big spectrum of albergues, and the, the quality, of course, ranges as well. I mean, you could get everything from a cold shower to, to one with hot showers and a free breakfast. Right, so. right. got you. Yeah, food-wise, what are you doing while on the trail? Lots of Spanish food. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the, the, the Spanish people do French fries very well. Yeah, sure. It seems like they were always serving potatoes or French fries with <laughs> every meal. I was so sick of French fries. And they were soggy. They weren't even fried properly. Oh, no. It was really bad. But um, uh, the other food was quite tasty. Yeah. It was it's easier to pay somebody to make you food or to get what's called a pilgrim's dinner. Mm-hmm. A pilgrim's dinner usually costs about 10 euros. Uh, a lot of these pilgrims dinner would give you bottomless wine. Oh, so you cool. drink as much wine as you can for 10 euros. Plus you get this yes. amazing like three course meal. Mm-hmm. They always give you like, a little appetizer, a salad or something. And you have the main dish and then they give you dessert like flan. And uh, then you have this bottomless wine. It was, it was really great. So the pilgrims meals, it's really what I loved. Yeah. You, were, you were treated well out there. I was. Yeah. I was. I hate like a king. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How were you feeling at the end of the trip in comparison to at the beginning of the trip? Did you do, did you do exactly 30 days of walking or were you kind of right around there? Yeah, I was. So uh, I did make, I think I did the trail in about 29 days. I had a couple of rest days. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the trip, actually, I got quite bad tendonitis in um one in my Achilles, mm-hmm. and it was because my foot swelled. I was just walking every day, and my foot swelled over a whole size, and I outgrew my shoe. Oh no! And I literally couldn't wear my shoe. It was so much pain, and it developed these like knots in my calf, and had to massage those out and mm-hmm. see. They call them a physio out there, physiotherapist, and they'll massage them, and they could do some K tape, the kinesiology tape. And mm-hmm. 
So I got that treated and um, I ended up actually walking over about 25 days in sandals on the trails, flip-flops. <laughs> so I, I did this whole journey literally in flip-flops and I, I mailed my shoes to Santiago. I mailed uh-huh. my socks to Santiago and I was just like, screw it. I don't need this stuff anymore. <laughs> and so I just, because I wasn't going to carry it on my back. Yeah, sure. Um, so a little word of advice, your feet will grow, they will swell, you're using mm-hmm. them and get a shoe that's all, a whole size bigger. Okay. Yeah, so let's see. Uh, I did do the trail in about 29 days. I did an extension, an extra five more days out to what's called Findistera. Mm-hmm. It's known as the end of the world. Um, a lot of pilgrims will make it to this final journey point. They have a little beach bonfire mm-hmm. and a party out there. And uh, there's a nice little uh, uh, lighthouse. And then it's a tr- an old tradition where you burn all your possessions that you have on the trail or your clothing. <laughs> so I joke I was going to burn everything I had and it's going to yeah. be a naked aborigine right <laughs> <Of> around. <course, yeah. laughs> but uh, no... Uh, I didn't really burn anything. Um, there was some friends, a Brazilian guy uh, I was with for a bit. He was really adamant about starting a fire. There was wind and rain. He couldn't even start a fire to burn his stuff. Oh, so. no. Yeah, it still, it still carries on. Um, but uh, It's not as popular where people are burning their clothes anymore. No, us. it's not yeah. as popular. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, they, they frown upon it. It's, uh, uh, they advise not to, but okay. it's still the, the hardcore traditionalist. And they'll, they'll still sneak off and find a way. Before we go into the extension part of it, what, mm-hmm. what is the bonfire party like? You were, is this when everyone who you're with who ends on the exact same day as you is going to party, or is it kind of a collection of people who have already finished it as well? I think it's a tad combination. It's, mm-hmm. it's mostly the people and the friends that you made along the journey mm-hmm. who all are going to finish at the same time. Okay. You'll, you'll meet a lot of friends on the journey that you just end up uh, finishing or hiking the trail with or large sections of the trail with. Okay. Um, but then other other people, they can't go, quite go your pace or you just go in different journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked with a, a, a girl from Austria and an Israeli girl for a while. And then I walked with uh, some British guys, a Swiss soldier, and some German gals. Those were largely my group. Um, but when you get to the end, um, I think there are still people there that, that finished, but, well, if people are finishing constantly and every day. But, um, you know, parties and... and and camaraderie, they tend to you know, gravitate and they tend to link up. But largely, I think it's the group that you were walking with. And then anybody that gets in that day just tends to make a big party on the beach. Got you. Yeah. Are there any conversations that you remember having, like specific conversations mm-hmm. on, the, on the trail? And I'm sure that's hard to yeah, think back to. Yeah, gosh. No, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of philosophy talk that's done on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, I, wow. I, let's see. Specific conversations. It's really difficult because I was drunk half the time. <laughs> no, I know there was uh-huh. some really, really great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, the Israeli girl, Annette, she stands out because she was very philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some great conversations along the trail, but I'm trying to really pinpoint. I think, I think more just about like the meaning of like the universe and us and why are we here and just, sure. just all of this. Like, it, it, all of this just can't be for us as, mm-hmm. as a species. Like... Uh, so I, I don't know. I think just some really big, broad questions, and yeah. none of them really made sense. Just philosoph- philosophical talk. Sure. Are there any people? We always talk about. We use the term "hostile homies." Are there any people yeah. that you met during that during that trip that you still keep in contact with, or who have influenced you since then? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we started a WhatsApp group on mm-hmm. the trail, awesome. and it was really nice because uh, if people were hiking ahead, they're like, "Hey, this is great, Alberg. This is a great city. Good stop." Or if people um, wanted to catch up to you, you'd be like, I'm in this town, like anybody else here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that WhatsApp group, it's still going, and um, a lot of us all plan on linking up 
when I, I'm looking at getting over to uh, Switzerland, Germany, and Austria here at the beginning of November, mm -hmm. and uh, plan on seeing those guys. So cool. So, uh, great. They're great characters. It'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see what they're like off the trail. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. That, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's spent so much time with them on the trail, you know, yeah. ten, about 10, 15 days of walking with some of these guys, that it's like... Uh, I think I've seen them at their highs and highs and lows and lows. Sure. That it's just kind of like it's hard to picture them any different, I guess. So you you were talking about after the after the beach party, there was a five day extension. Yeah. Tell me about where you went after this. Oh yeah, actually, so you let, you end in Santiago, and, and in Santiago. then you do the five day extension gotcha. to the beach party, and then there's a maybe I think it was about a one to two days trip up north to this beautiful town called Muxia. Mm -hmm. And because uh, you end in Finisterre, and Muxia is another stopping point. They actually they, they, they fork the extension. So you go from Santiago and you can choose Finisterre or, or Muxia, but it, a lot of people, they still do both. So they go to uh, usually Finisterre, then they hike up north to Muxia. And uh, I hiked up north to Muxia. I'm a social person. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first night, there was really nobody in this town. It was just dead. Um, just, I think, poor weather and lack of people making the decision to walk in the, the rain. So it's like just me. And so that was the first night. The second night, I go out to like the lighthouse, so watch the sunset, come back, I get a whiskey, and I hear some really heavy, thick English accents being spoken. So uh, I was like, hey, can I uh, join you guys? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, sit down, sit down. So I sit down there immediately, like, where are you coming from? And I was like, oh, I am uh, just walked across Spain. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a, this trail out here. Tell us about that. They didn't really know too much mm -hmm. about it. Uh, as a, as some older gentlemen, the one was 55, a 62-year-old, and a 63-year-old, and uh, that's really cool. So um, I was like, "Where are you guys coming from?" They're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, we just sailed across the English Channel." I was like, "Ah, oh, wicked!" Uh, so like, also very cool. <laughs> also very cool. Yeah, it's like sailors, awesome. Yeah. I I actually did a bit of that back in uh, my high school days. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on a sail team every Wednesday out of Port of Olympia, mm -hmm. Olympia, Washington. That is, and I crewed on a hundred-foot sailboat in the San Juan Islands for over a month. And uh, I've done some fishing with my father and stuff, so I'm pretty got a quite a bit of knowledge of the the sea. Mm -hmm. But uh, so then they're like, ah, what are you doing next? And I was like, well, I'm making my way to Portugal. Bunch of us that all walked on the trail. We're gonna go to Porto, have a vacation, get an Airbnb, drink some port wine, and just dine like Portuguese men. <laughs> kind of a celebration of yes, finishing the trail. Yes, yep. yes, it's nothing else. And they they just look at me and they lean back. They're like, well, you're in luck. They're like, we're sailing to Portugal tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're like, no strings attached, just jump on the boat. And I was just like, this can't, this, like, you know, it's just, everything just aligns up. Everything yeah. happens for a reason. I'm just like, and, and the way I travel is I never book too many things out in advance mm -hmm. because I needed the next morning to catch a bus from Muxia back to Santiago, from Santiago, stay one night, and then catch a charter bus all the way to um, Porto. Mm -hmm and then get my lodging there. So I had to make all these connections and plan this transportation. And I realized the only thing I would really need was a charter bus that would book out from Santiago to, to Porto. So that was the only thing I bought. It was about 27 euros as I paid. But my lodging, there's so many hostels and albergues. The lodging I didn't need to take, uh, need to worry about. Getting from the, the small towns to the other towns, I didn't really need to worry about that. I could do that last minute. So yeah. the only cost I was out was that $27 charter bus but let me tell you, was it worth it? I jumped on that Absolutely. sailboat, and not only did I walk to the end of the world, I sailed around the tip of the end of the world. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I went, it was about amazing. four nights, five days journey. Mm -hmm. 
I did get seasick on the first night. Did some little, as they call it, chumming, you know, puking <laughs> overboard. That's such an adorable way <laughs> yeah, of yeah. describing a really painful feeling. Yeah, absolutely. If you get, if you get seasickness, it's so much better if you just puke. Yeah. Yeah, you feel so much better. But uh, I mean, these waves were, were huge. Uh, mm-hmm. Portugal actually is famous for, for big wave surfing. They have some of the biggest in the, in the world. Right. And the Portuguese and Spanish coast can be quite treacherous with... Mm-hmm. Um, with waves and we set out on the bay that morning and it was glass the crystal clear the water not even a not even no wind you know we were motoring there was no wind mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the water was calm and, and then by noon it picked up and the sailboat was literally racing down the waves oh like a gosh. surfer so we had to all be tethered into the boat so we had our life jackets on and we were roped into the to the boat so we wouldn't fall overboard on the, <laughs> on the keel on the keel that's yeah. intense oh yeah <laughs> Such deceiving water too, right? When, it really is. When you started out, you're like, this is going to be easy, yeah. just a yeah. breeze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had me, they're like, oh, jump behind the hill. Like, I mean, like, they just met me, and now I'm steering this, like, 33-foot sailboat, and they're all sitting back just kicking it, and I'm just, like, out there putting along. I was yeah. loving it. Water starts, shop starts kicking up, and I was, I was managing it pretty well, and then they're like, all right, now it's getting real bad. We're going to take over. It's sure. like, yeah, please. I'm, like, white-knuckling it. <laughs> well, you were, you were kind of just along for the ride in general, right? They already had this planned out. Absolutely, yeah. They, they were already buying food for the trip, yeah. wine for the trip, everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I just chipped in a little bit for uh, my my portions of the, of the food mm-hmm. uh, bought some beers for the guys uh, they bought some rounds for me no strings attached uh, they didn't they didn't need anything they just said it's called uh, passing what is it called the passing it on like a you know just whatever you have to offer kind pass, of like a karma thing too yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely That's exactly right the karma. oh I love that and you entered Portugal in a way that most people don't and arguably in an uh, illegal way right? that's true that's true it's my understanding if you go through any major port uh, if you, uh, an airport or a dock you know a port you, <laughs> you should do declaration and customs and so these uh, these British guys they deemed me the stolaway <laughs> that was my <laughs> that was my name so they're just like hey when we uh, enter port do you mind if you just hang up below the deck and then uh, we'll go do customs and you can come out later and you know we'll go hit the bars and stuff and uh they're like uh you know uh you're uh you're an american we don't know how the american passport works with the uh the eu because we're part of the eu and yeah, so sure. is spain and portugal and i was like ah yeah it's fine but uh you know when i got into portugal i uh, got up to the docks and i just blended into the city and went that way and waved and they went to do the customs and they went the other way and it was borderline illegal. Yeah. <laughs> and you were just kind of hiding under the yeah, deck, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did it. It's like down under there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you eventually got to meet up with the rest of your friends from the trail. Yeah. And was it in Porto? Yeah, that's right. And just got to celebrate, drink yeah. delicious wine, eat delicious food. Yeah, sweet Love port that. wine. You know, it's uh, it's known as kind of like a dessert wine as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I happened to be there when uh, the World Cup was going on. And Christian, oh, it, gosh, it, was, no it was actually when Spain was playing um, uh, Portugal, as so it was a big, big rivalry game. How cool! It was, is that? it was really good, and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo scored this amazing goal up and over the wall in a bender, and the whole city, like I've never heard, heard a city just go up in a war. Because yeah, they're all outside bars. It's oh. gorgeous weather, and uh, they put up massive screens uh, broadcasting the game in the parks. <sighs> Oh, it was a riot. It was a riot. Talk about timing yeah. lining up like perfect, that, right? Perfect, perfect. God, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we talked about this last night and 
you know, hearing this is inspiring me. I'm, I'm going to be in Spain soon and I'm certainly going to do part of the Camino. Yeah, you yeah. were saying that you don't necessarily have to do the full 30 days. You can Absolutely. do little, little parts of the trail. Yeah. You know, a lot of the guys, that's exactly right. The, the Vatican says you, if you need to walk the official last 100 kilometers mm-hmm. to get your little certificate and people could do that in about five to six days, gotcha. 100 kilometers comfortably, easily. Um, if you really cruise in God's three to four, but mm-hmm. that's, that's really stretching it. But, um, that's what the Vatican says, and uh, that's what the that's when they write your name in, in Latin. They give you a certificate, they expunge you of your sins. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and so that's that. But uh, you know, really, again, I can't stress enough that throw out the guidebook, start anywhere. Mm-hmm. I met people that were groups and friends, some I- an Irish uh, uh, a group of uh, of women, actually, all middle aged, fifties, uh, and. Uh, they, they said they come over every year to Spain and they hike just seven days of sections of the trails and they just mm-hmm. pick up where they left off and just kind of keep piecing it together. Um, so you could just jump on, jump off, start in any little city or town and just, just go up. It's all, it's all these yellow arrows that you follow. It's known as the way. It's, it's, mar- it's, it's, it's marked. You don't need any, any information. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nice to know how much distance you're going between next town like mm-hmm. is it is it five kilometers to the next town is it 12 kilometers next town? yeah that makes that's difference. nice because yeah. you could then you could just plan like okay i'm tired i'm gonna stop mm-hmm. these little things make a difference make okay. a difference but um other than that uh you really you really don't need, uh, need any other additional information just follow the yellow arrows and you could jump on uh, the trail anywhere it's inspiring me to go and i hope it inspires others to go yeah. i asked this uh i asked this question every episode where in the world do you think everyone should go? And this can be a city, it can mm. be a neighborhood, or it can be as specific as like a park bench you sat in once wow. somewhere. It's a good, good, good question. Huh, let's see. If I could send somebody to somewhere. I, I really, really like to get off the beaded path. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, uh, like you mentioned to me earlier when you were in Thailand, you felt like it wasn't too challenging in the sense of traveling mm-hmm. because... Everybody speaks English, and yep. there's lots of expats, and I, I felt that same sure. experience there. I loved it for other reasons, um, uh, cuisine-wise and stuff, but uh, um, as for a real adventure traveler and really to, to, to be challenged, um, uh, I enjoyed Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been open maybe for five or six years now. Um, you know, people have been there. I've met some people that were there 10 years ago, and they had to jump through other diff- uh, some other hoops. But it's easier to get to now. It's about a $50 visa. Okay. They process it within 24 hours. It's all online. And uh, I had a map. And I would just find a random person and point to this map uh, to name on the city. And then I was on this wild goose chase mm-hmm. of just him leading me around to different buses and the bus terminals and talking to different people. And I tipped him at the end. And, sure. and uh, you know, I just got on some random bus hoping I was going to this <laughs> city. You know, like, you really put your faith and your trust into a lot of people and, mm-hmm. and this is where uh, you have to listen to your inner inner instincts you are relying heavily on other people and if, if you do that you may get taken advantage of trust like i say it can, it can get you into a lot of cool situations you know you could be seeing these random ancient temples that nobody knows about that the locals can take you to sure. yeah you just you just get this uh it's this once uh, in a lifetime experience if you just have a little trust and so so Myanmar uh, get there while you can get there while there's very little western influence and uh, yeah you know, just experience it that's what I would say love it well said well 
Frankie, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for visiting my hostel. Absolutely. Next time you are in Bend, Oregon, stay at the Bunkin' Brew. It is absolutely wonderful. Say hey to Frankie. Thanks for listening to the Hostel Homies.